Hi, I'm Afton. And I'm Anna. And, and this, this is Grits, a podcast on the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Join us in reclaiming what it means to be girls raised in the South. Mm-hmm. So let's get gritty. <laughs> All right, we're back. Another week. Another week. Another another two weeks. Uh, thanks for listening to our last episode. We didn't hear from any of you, so I guess you didn't, maybe you didn't listen to it. <laughs> It's okay. I haven't listened to the last uh, 26 episodes we've recorded. It's funny because I listen I listen to the episode it, it, the moment it comes out and I'm like, "Oh, wow, that was really po- that was really poignant." Oh, yeah, Anna, excellent, excellent point. And then Anna just doesn't you don't listen to it at all. It's, Although now you're hearing funny. through the grapevine that other people are listening to it. That is true. It's funny because at the beginning, I would have so much anxiety and I would listen to it and I would always feel better because I would go, oh, that was better than I thought it was. But then somehow I got in my head about it and I like cannot make myself listen. You've been because you you are able to extrapolate and really dig into the issues in a way that I'm not like I, I think I'm the question. I, I prompt the questioning. Right. Yeah, you keep and I, the and conversation Yeah, going, I keep yeah. the conversation going, but, like, you really have some very profound points that you make, so. I feel like I sound stupid a lot, but, yeah, sure. I don't think you do. Okay. All right, well, uh, two weeks. Uh, let's see, what are your updates, Anna? So, you know, I've been really busy. <laughs> Just kidding. Not! Um, some exciting <laughs> things that have happened, I suppose. <laughs> that I, I finally got global entry. It took like What does that mean for people seconds. listening? But... It basically means that you have an expedited process. It's It includes TSA pre-check, but it's even more than that. So when you travel internationally, particularly when you, you're coming back into the U.S., the process is like super easy. You just go to like a global entry kiosk and you don't have to do as much. So... Like many of you, probably, the pandemic has made me want to travel even more. And that's something that, like, you know, we haven't really feasibly been able to do because of, like, time off and money and all of that kind of stuff. And so once we get through our wedding this year, hopefully we'll be spending more time at airports safely vaccinated. (laughs) Hopefully. But, yeah. So I finally got global entry. I'm excited about that. Was the process more rigorous during a pandemic? Oh, it was basically nothing like (laughs) we had to go to this office we filled out the paperwork online and then we went to an office and they said it was an interview so I was prepared to answer all these questions and like we've moved a lot so like the process basically like a green card like you're preparing to like get your green card yeah the process goes all the way back to like college so I was like trying to remember like my senior year address like lived off campus I'm like I have like all my addresses down which one of these addresses is not yours like I have five of them in the last four years or five years or whatever so I was like trying to remember each one of them and like what order I was in you know whatever then then we go in there basically it was eight minutes total, like, from the start to finish. And I was shocked that, like, several people in the office were not wearing masks at all. It was so weird. Ooh. I have not seen people in public in a really long time, like, indoors working mm. without masks on. But mm. I guess they probably get tested because they work for the well, federal maybe. government. I don't know. But, like, the woman who was at the door didn't have one on. And then one of the guys that was – Alex and I had corresponding appointments – he, like, would not put his mask on. He had it under his chin, and he was, like, 
it's so freaking annoying. And like he was talking about it the whole time. So that part was a little bit weird, but it was eight minutes. So hopefully I didn't get exposed to anything. Um, so where are the, what's the first place on your list to travel to when this is all over? I think an island first, but Mexico City is like <gasps> top of our list. Before the end of the year, oh, for sure. We'll I've to been Mexico to Mexico City, City oh, yeah. three times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And once for a wedding that was very bougie. Yeah. And shout out, it was the bougiest wedding I'll probably ever go to in my entire life. And it was worth every penny. That's amazing. I had that. Yeah, like, I actually uh, think that I, like, it made it on our list in part because of you talking about it. But, oh. Yeah, I've heard, like, a lot of people like it and the food's great and <sighs> lots to do. So, yeah, Mexico City is top of the list. Europe, we need, like, a classic Euro trip for sure. And then an island. So what do you think, what will the entry process look like? Like, do you think you're going to have to show your vaccine card? Yeah, that's interesting, like, what requires. So a lot of the Caribbean islands we're looking, like, for going after our wedding. and um, Which, side note, uh, the wedding's back on. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no idea that Anna was getting married in three months. Uh, so just so you know, for folks listening, yeah, shocker to everyone. <laughs> I thought I just had been ignoring it because I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. But I'm hope like I'm the most hopeful person I've ever. I'm a pessimistic person by. Well, that's why we work. A glass half, half yeah. full, your glass half empty. Yeah, I have literally thought like there's no way we're going to have any. Like I do not want to put people in danger, all this stuff. But I am so hopeful that we will be like mostly vaccinated and that if someone doesn't feel safe they I just like I, I think I needed I wasn't prepared like there there's some emotional preparation for me that needs to happen to get to a point where I'm comfortable going to a wedding and and, and you laying it on me that your wedding is very imminent is yeah anyways it's fine yeah but so I don't even have a dress so now we well, gotta work on that okay well so, um So in looking at islands, like a lot of them basically have no COVID at all or haven't had cases in months. And they're really strict about um, coming in and out. And of course, at different times, they will ban Americans. (laughs) So we have to be, you know, get travel insurance and all of that. But um, yeah, usually they require a COVID test within a certain period of time before you get there and then you typically have to quarantine for like 48 hours mm. uh, but if you're you're at a really nice resort with like it doesn't yeah a private time, balcony time and you can get food in your room or whatever then and then you have to get tested again before you can go out of your room i don't know it, it's tough but we'll see like how long it lasts and um so should the griddles be should they, can they send you some wedding gifts? Like that's <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god. AKA uh, moms and dads that only listen. Actually, my parents. I would actually like perspective on this because we have heard nonstop for a year that we don't have enough stuff on our registry because we don't need. It's interesting that like the biggest piece of feedback when we first started our registry was like you don't need all that random stuff. I don't really bake enough to need, like, a stand mixer that's, like, $400, right? Yeah. I'd rather have – we got, like, all new pots and pans and, like, a grill and, like, like nicer level stuff that's, like, expensive that we'd rather have. But we don't need every single thing they tell you we need. Like, we don't need a china pattern. We don't even have a dining room. Like, 
And well, more, I'm sure there's a very like conventional more... path to a registry in which, like, there are all these yeah. items that you're supposed to have. But really, in reality, what, what do you actually need? And the fact is, is that we cook all the time. And we've built out, like, a kitchen. I mean, of course, like, we've already upgraded so many things. Our wine glasses, like, our wine glasses before were, like, big lots so, like, Walmart or something. I so now tell. we got, well, now we have nice ones because of the registry. So, so many people bought our gifts, like, early on that we've gotten almost everything on the registry or else it's out of stock. That's what happens when you get engaged two years before you get married and a global pandemic happens, Anna. Yeah, exactly. So, but it, this is a point of contention, like even as recently as this last week of us not having stuff on our registry. And honestly, like I get that, you know, there's etiquette and whatever and you're supposed to get a gift. If someone's traveling to Nashville to come to our wedding or... Well, good to know. Good to know. I'm, mean, not, I'm not getting after, you anything like, besides a paper mache pineapple. Well, you're not traveling. No, I'm just kidding. No, but I really don't like the expense of like getting an outfit or like like a nice card would mean as much or even more to me than like a monetary gift. Hear me, hear me out. What if I show up in a wig? <laughs> Do I get to keep the wig? Is it a gift for me? I'll get back to you on that. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it, it has been, like, I mean, it has come up in both sides of the family, multiple conversations. There's nothing on your registry. Would I buy this for myself? Why don't like, you put it towards your honeymoon? That's what people do. I've seen yeah, people. Yeah, there's honeymoon fund. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we should definitely set up. I mean, and a lot of people have just given us cash at, like, our first shower and stuff. So it's all fine, and it's not a big deal. But I just feel like there's this, like, generational divide or, like, or maybe it's, like, a southern thing or whatever, but, like, apparently my wet registry is a utter disgrace to <laughs> traditional marriages everywhere. Well, you're an unconventional lady in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Apparently I need um, 20 towels, even though it's oh just God. me and Alex. <laughs> okay, and then my other update is that I came out of a fog this weekend into the sunshine raise your hand listener i hope you're listening in your car if you have been in a brain fog or just a happiness fog to each their own especially with the snowstorm that was like so disorienting and i emerged onto a patio on saturday you came out of hibernation. I came out of hibernation. Like a, like a, like a black bear in the and Alaskan I go, wilderness. Oh my gosh, what was I doing? I was I was uh, squirreling away my nuts for the winter. <laughs> and I emerged onto a patio and I had a vodka cocktail. Frozen vodka cocktail. It was I was shivering, it was fifty five degrees and a wind was blowing. It didn't my hair. matter. <laughs> it didn't matter at all. I was out on that patio on Saturday. <laughs> So you had a frozen cocktail. I had a legit, like, out of a machine frozen cocktail at Redheaded Street. It's very Nashville of you. It was, yeah. And I went, I even went to downtown. I had to go to downtown for other reasons on Sunday, but decided to check out Fifth and Broadway. Super crazy. So much has changed. I mean, I've only been to five years. I can't even, there's been so much development downtown that I I haven't even laid eyes on because I haven't been downtown in a year. Yeah, I went to... And no, I will not be going to Kid Rock's Honky Tonk. Like, you can pay me... I didn't go before the pandemic, and you can't pay me to go after the pandemic. See, it makes me it makes me really sad that Kid Rock's is, like, one of my favorite. I'm sorry. It's because of this one band. I'm sorry. What it's the... F- that Anna... I don't want to embarrass myself further, but um, I have a little sister, and Avery, if you're listening to this, 
we developed an unhealthy obsession with this one band. I love that Broadway. only played at Kid Rock. Yeah, most they played like one God. other place on like Tuesdays, but every Friday Saturday they played Kid Rock, and I think we saw them. We saw them a lot of times. It's an embarrassing amount of times, and there might have been like Instagram DMs involved. I mean, it just like it escalated. We were groupies, basically. Unwanted groupies. <laughs> but yes, it's as we all have been, we've all we've all been unwanted groupies at some point. In our I lives. love it. I mean, life is too short to be like Fashion I'm too cool for Broadway. Oh yeah, <laughs> so sad. <laughs> but life is too short to say I'm too cool for Broadway. It can be really fun. It can be really fun. Okay. Um, okay, my updates. So Anna asked me what this word meant, and I honestly couldn't tell you, but I attended a very cool conference, virtual conference, sponsored by my alma mater, UT Austin's Communications COGSEC, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the acronym stands <laughs> for. Uh, but it was about disinformation, and uh, there's a, a, a contemporary of ours. Her name is uh, Talia Lavin. And she wrote the book Cultural Warlords. I highly recommend it. Five out of five stars. She infiltrated the dark web, the white supremacist dark web as a Jewish woman. Uh, And she spoke at this conference. And guess what? What? She retweeted me. And I literally lost it. I thought I had reached you know the twitter high life uh but she she has she has this sword i don't under i don't know it's like a security thing or maybe it's performative i don't know a real sword a real sword yeah and during her uh when she was being interviewed she pulled the sword out and i took a screenshot and then she on twitter she said oh i was so nervous i just rushed through my entire speech in 45 minutes and i and i and i subtweeted her and said you were fantastic and i posted it and she retweeted it and so i just Anyways, it's just the small things that keep you going these days. <laughs> uh, and then I got my first vaccine. So shout out to the healthcare workers in Union County. Uh, I am a social worker, so I was on the list to get vaccinated, and I'm very excited. I feel like a whole new woman, not so much as a um, as an you know indulging in frozen cocktails out of my spring hibernation, but perhaps that is forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, those are our updates. <laughs> we you know we know that spring is coming and we hope you all get vaccinated and it feels like uh i don't know does it feel like normalcy's coming there's something at once like like instead of winter's coming from game of thrones it's normalcy's coming (laughs) like i felt i felt whoa in one day i got i received my first vaccine and i found out that Zara was opening in the Green Hills Mall, mm-hmm. and I felt like a million dollars. Yeah. There's it was, a, like, the most hopeful moment. experience I had. Yeah. yeah. Like, with the weather the way it is, I've had my window open. Oh, uh, spring in Tennessee is so and nice. And I have a new song. What's Ooh, not, what is it? It's not a new song, but I'm listening to it obsessively. It's called Parachute by John Kay. Oh. It is so upbeat and, like, so fun and... I am, like, ready to live my best life, to be married, to travel, for people to stop dying. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. Well, uh, for this week's episode, we – let me give you some background. So when I returned from Europe to East Tennessee after Trump was elected in 2016, I found a rural organizing group called the Sustainable and Equitable Agricultural Development Group. 
and they were working on passing public broadband ordinances all across the state of Tennessee. And for those of you listening, so the current uh, landscape of broadband in, in, in the state of Tennessee, uh, we have one public broadband uh, major municipality that offers broadband as a utility, which is uh, Chattanooga. And the state legislature that is backed by AT&T and Comcast has uh, prevented other municipalities from expanding their internet footprint to rural communities. And as a result uh, from a lot of rural organizing and uh, wanting to build a sustainable model where you don't have to utilize and tap into corporate infrastructure, uh, we there's a group in Tennessee that actually built their own internet, <laughs> which is pretty wild. Uh, and so uh, we interviewed April who is an organizer with the Southern Connected Communities Project and is in the Clare Fork Valley organizing and building their own internet in, in rural Tennessee. And it's quite, quite, a, uh, quite a feat. And so uh, here's the interview. We hope you enjoy it. All right, there we go. All right. Hey, April, thank you so much. It's, it's Afton and uh, Anna. So April, I guess if you could just say your name and uh, we're, we're super excited to have you on the pod um, and the organizations that you're a part of and I guess, you know, how you got started into all of this would be great. Okay, sure. Um, <clears throat> my name's April Jiraki. I actually wasn't raised in the South. I was raised in Dayton, Ohio. I've been here in the Clare Fork Valley for about going on 13 years. Interesting story how I got started in this work. Um, my mother, Vicki Terry and Carol Judy were um, really good friends and they kept trying to get me to attend meetings um, and just come do stuff with them. Um, and one of those meetings was for seeds the Sustainable Equitable Agricultural Development Group. And I just kept putting them off and avoiding them. Um, I was raising five kids by myself, and I just didn't have the time. Well, my house burnt down in November of 2013, and I ended up living, moving onto the Woodland Community Land Trust. I was working at the nursing home as a CNA, and I was uh, I had to have surgery on my shoulder, and I was getting ready to go back to work, and I was in a car wreck um, and hurt my other arm, um, and was unable to go back to work. So while I was sitting at home with no car, um, no job, Carol Judy and my mother got me involved. And for the, those of you who don't know, you know, Carol Judy was, uh, I would say, an, what, an infamous Appalachian organizer. But, um, yes. you know, for anyone who had the pleasure of meeting her, she really supported young organizers in the area to be doing a lot of environmental justice work. Well, And, and for those of you, um, so for our listeners, um, I think hearing just a, a description about the Clear Fork Valley and, and what it is and, and the people that live there, I think, would be really helpful. Um, okay, sure. The Clifford Valley is uh, it's a collection of 12 unincorporated towns that span across two counties in Tennessee and two counties in Kentucky. Um, there's only about 3,000 folks that live around here. Um, it is very, it's in the mountains. 
Um, it's surrounded by mountains, and folks have lived here for a long time. Um, it's an old coal count coal mining community, um, and it is one of the last areas in Tennessee that has coal mining. So I guess you know Anna comes from Louisiana, and we've you know been talking a lot about the you know environmental degradation, coal top removal. Um, really big in in eastern Kentucky and 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 upper northeast Tennessee. And so, how did how, I guess you're you're an organizer, you're a Vista organizer, and then um, the lead organizer for the Southern Connected Communities Project. Could you speak about the the organizing efforts in in the area right now? Um, we have been as Southern Connected Communities Project. We've been trying to figure out a way to get internet to this community. Um, there's very few people that have it. Um, the people that the internet is available is satellite and it's very unpredictable. It's not really affordable. Um, very unreliable if the weather is not ideal. And there's a data cap. So what we've done so far is we've built a hotspot using a mobile signal um, that a lot of with the, some antennas that we've mounted here at Clare Fort Community Institute, um, and it's it's just a public Wi-Fi signal. Um, it's better than the satellite by far. And we are in the process of trying to figure out how to replicate that in different little areas um, here in the valley until that we can research on how to be uh, get backhaul, which is the actual internet, um, or get somebody to bring the internet in. What if you could talk a little bit? You know, I think especially for urban counterparts, you know, it's even though you know, they have access to internet, it's, it's not great, there's caps. We see in Tennessee a lot of subsidies given to AT&T and Time Warner, for example, um, and they say that they're going to invest in rural broadband, but, I, you know, that's, it hasn't really materialized. Is, is that what you've seen? Um, yes, um, I've not seen any materialization. I do know there is a telephone cooperative out of Scott County, Tennessee, that is expanding um, into the Campbell County, which is only going to be in a couple years when they get this expansion built, it's only going to be a couple, like two or three miles from where I'm located. But where we are right at the county line, <clears throat> a lot of folks just, they just, the bigger companies just don't want to come down here. There's not a lot of homes. AT&T built, um, got uh, money to connect the Clearport the Clarefield Elementary School here in Claiborne County a couple years ago because they were the last school in Tennessee that did not have high-speed internet. So AT&T built out the, the fiber infrastructure from Wad Oak, Tennessee into to the school, but they are not going to and have not in the several years that it was built connect to any homes, even if they're right there on the main road where the fiber is, because they say it's not cost effective because the population yeah. is not dense enough. And, and that's the argument that a lot of these, 
multi-million dollar companies use, which it's, it, there's not enough profit um, to give people internet. April, I wonder, you know, in, in, in the pandemic, how has lack of internet access, I guess, been exacerbated in, in the community that you live in? For my children and for other children in this community that I've seen and spoke to parents, um, a lot of the kids last year, they just, they couldn't even go straight to virtual when the schools closed because there's so many families that don't have internet here um, or even a device to get on the internet with. Um, so my children went to virtual, they did virtual this year, but out of 140 something students, only 10 of them was actually doing virtual. And it's, it's difficult because they have, they want you to deal with Zoom calls with um, and with your classmates. Um, and you, like my, my children couldn't do that. They, they could not participate because of, we have satellite at home. Um, videos, they would do videos. So when they shut down school in December, what they did was they sent paper packets home with all those students. And I can't imagine, you know, especially with with kids that live with, you know, grandparents and, and the digital divide, how difficult that must be for kids right now. Yes. It is, it is very rough on the children um, not being able to get online and to do the work that is needed or get the instruction with the one-on-one -on -one that is needed. I had to send my children back to school in person um, because of which I didn't want to because my, my father is elderly and I take care of him. Um, but they were just not doing well on virtual. My son's going to have to do uh, summer school just to get caught back up. They're not able to socialize with their classmates and children need that for their mental health. Right. And how has, I guess, like, you know, I'm just wondering also with vaccine distribution, um, I had to, you know, I spent an hour, two hours signing my parents up for their appointments. And I mean, I just can't imagine not having internet access and having to, to do all of this and, and navigate all these systems in a pandemic. It's just, and that's where, you know, obviously you, know, you come you come from the perspective that, that internet should be public. And I just wonder, you know, if you have any thoughts about you know, with the vaccines and getting people the information they need? Around here, what we've done is um, phone trees. We've, me and some other ladies in the community that work together on other stuff, we go out and we actually call, talk to people. If we, last week, a, a, a former nurse called me and said, hey, they're doing this vaccine clinic at, up here on the mountain because up until last week, the anybody that was eligible for a vaccine had to travel at least a 30-minute drive from their home to get it. Um, and transportation is a huge issue here. So we've just done a lot of phone call-in, um, text message. Um, we post things on Facebook to really get the word out about things. Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to hear more about uh, how local leaders are um, helping, if any, like any um, officials or schools, how they're stepping up, or is this really like community-led? Here where we are, I haven't really seen any support from community leaders, or like 
the government leaders, the mayors, or anything like that. I'm not firsthand knowledge. Um, we, me, um, and the director of CCI and the Woodland Community Land Trust. I know last summer when they, or last year when the schools closed, the, the schools were are doing, um, we're giving out, providing meals for the families. And we we delivered meals to I think 65 families over the course of last year um, and last summer. Um, we passed out um, seeds and gardening tools, can canning supplies, health and hygiene products. That's about the only help that has been given to this area since the pandemic started that I'm aware of. Um, April, I guess. Uh so how, with, with the project and for folks listening uh, to this interview, uh, April's the lead organizer for the project Southern Connected Communities Project, and um, they're working to build their own connected community through public internet in their area. April, how, how did the project get started? And then how did you learn how to do all these things? So my very first meeting, oh, I think it was in 2014, 2015, um, it was a seed meeting, the Sustainable Equitable Agricultural Development Group. It was a like a weekend retreat, and they everybody just got together and to discuss decide what issues they wanted to work on. Um, and the rural that birthed the rural broadband campaign. As the rural broadband campaign, we we went to several <coughs> excuse me um, we went to several different county commissioner meetings and in about, I don't even know, remember how many counties, we got resolutions in support of um, affordable, reliable internet. And then we held workshops and just lobbying. And then we went to, somebody applied out of our group through Highlander Research and Education Center to uh, Mozilla NSF Foundation to for a contest, and we won third prize, and they built the tower at Highlander um, or worked with Highlander to build their tower. Um, and then we that birthed at Southern Connected Communities Project. And have you felt? You know, like I guess you know, the end goal is to have this sustainable internet that that community members can tap into. Is that is that the ultimate goal of the project? Yes, um, and we work with Community Tech New York. They're a group that's doing the same type of work, um, and they they've been doing it for a long time. Um, and they're the ones that taught me the how to do this work um, and how to hook up antennas uh, and networks, and that's, yes, that's our ultimate goal. Did you ever think that you'd be uh, a, a cable engineer? <laughs> Never in my life. <laughs> oh, man. And so I know Anna asked us about the, the pandemic, but, I mean, what what is community, I mean, you know, I know there's, especially with this new COVID package, I think there's going to be, you know, municipal funding for broadband, but I just wonder you know, how, how has the community support been for this for this internet project? It's been slow. Um, as the Rural Broadband Campaign, we did a petitioning 
door knocking project here in the valley, um, and we got uh, I don't even remember um, over 150 signatures in support of getting that goal achieved. I'm working on a grant right now for the project, and we've been able to get five letters of support, which isn't a lot. Um, we also got the Campbell County Mayor wrote us a letter of support. The pandemic has put a little bit of a damper on it because we don't aren't able to get out and really do outreach to talk to people in the community. I run a cyber cafe here at a, the Clairefort Community Institute twice a week. Um, just to have access to the internet if they need help with how to use a computer or printing stuff off, um, I can help them with that. If kids want to come and do their schoolwork, they can. So I guess, you know, once this project, you know, you feel like it's it's culminated and it's off and running, do you hope that is, is the goal for other rural communities across the country to, to replicate this? Yes. Um, the project that we're, the, the grant that we're working on now, um, we are looking to, like I said, replicate the hotspot area into different little cluster communities here in the valley and to document how we are able to replicate this. If we can replicate it here in the valley, we can replicate it just about anywhere. And and what would it mean for, you know, I think rural broadband is, is, is going to become, I think, a really hot topic at the federal level and I just wonder what is what does internet justice look like to you and, and your family in the Clear Fork Valley? To me it looks like not paying $150 a month to be able to access the internet or use the telephone. It'd be more reliable and affordable and more accessible. We wouldn't have families that have to drive two miles or more from their home to sit outside the, the building here at CCI to use the internet from their car. Uh, Anna, do, do, did you have any other questions? Yeah, I just wanted to hear a little bit about, you know, once there's more connectivity and um, maybe, you know, work is going to look different going forward. But what do you think, what kind of economic development do you think having more access to internet, yeah, what economic development would happen if you had more access to internet? We have a lot of artesian artists here in the valley. Um, they would be able to access the internet um, and sell their product online. Folks that don't have good transportation could attend school online. It would open up so many more possibilities of things to do around here. Um, Ecotourism, echo I think is the word. We have a lot of ATVers here um, and off-roaders. Um, and we have some several folks opening up little campsites for them. Um, they would be able to promote their businesses online um, and get more businesses. And I think a lot of folks would come here more. Even though they're wanting to get away and get off in the mountain, people still want to be connected to the Internet. Well, April, we, we really, really thank you for your time. We know it's super valuable and, you know, we're going to, we'll link the project so that folks can donate. And then is there, is there a way for, you know, one of my most memorable, I think, childhood trips was to the Clear Fork Valley with, uh, I don't know if you, if you, if you've ever met Dr. Mark Banker. I have. Okay. Dr. Banker. Yeah. 
I, you know, he taught a class uh, about Appalachian history. And I just remember, you know, for me, it was, it was incredibly, it was a radicalizing experience in a, in a really humble way. You know, are there, are there ways for people to support the Clear Fork Valley, you know, especially, you know, not just monetary? Just continue talking about the, the valley um, and the work that's being done here, because word of mouth is still one of the top ways of getting the word out about things. <clears throat> just continue spreading the word to get more folks to come into the valley um, and to, yeah, just spread the word. All right. Well, we promise to be, uh, we'll, we'll be proselytizing people through through this episode. So. <laughs> um, well, April, thank you so much for your time. We're, we're really grateful for you and all the work that you do. And, you know, just, just know that you've got big fans uh, in Tennessee. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, y'all. Okay. Anna, what are you grateful for? That's a good question. <laughs> well, we were grateful for, so the Congress just passed the American Rescue Plan. Yes. Very exciting. We each get $1,400. Uh, yep. Amazing. Amazing. Child tax wait. credit increases and state and municipal governments get a shit ton of money. So mm-hmm. we're very excited about that. Big shout out to the progressives for making sure that it was as robust as possible, the um, Congressional Progressive Caucus. Grateful that Biden's putting money in people's pockets, right? Yeah, it turned out about as good as I could have expected it to, mm-hmm. and it's pretty quick. I mean, it'll be there before. Yeah, I think people thought it would expire. happen like when you're campaigning in Georgia for $2,000 checks. Like people thought it would have happened earlier, but. But uh, you don't understand how government works. Yeah, relatively fast. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's. That's so good. that's that. We're excited about the American, grateful for the for the American Rescue Plan. And I have cults written down. <laughs> <laughs> that at least you haven't been sucked in yet. Explain. Okay, yeah. So at work, we have a Slack channel entitled Tinfoil Hat. Apparently, there is a commune that is becoming increasingly popular on TikTok. Oh, yes, I've seen it. It's in, with the, with the yeah. redheaded guy? Yeah. How have you heard about it? It came across my TikTok literally last night. What? And they like have a dance. They're like having dance parties. Yeah, and they're, like, yeah. At, oh, they yeah. Get out of a school bus. So my school coworkers bus. challenged me. They said, as soon as you get your second vaccine, please travel to the commune and uh, report back. And I think at this moment in time, like you and I are not QAnon believers. We have not been sucked into cults. And I think it is like unlike a lot of America that has had difficulty grasping the reality in front of them, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's why people believe QAnon is because they can't... The reality in front of them is so difficult to understand and navigate. Uh, and I would say that we haven't... We haven't... We're not part of cults, and I would find... I'm grateful for that. Yeah, I'm I'm a highly skeptical person, but I'm also, like... I'm such a joiner. Like, I went to many different churches I always had different friend groups like I was always that girl in like five friend groups and I would go to all their churches and like spend the night with them you know and I would walk the aisle at every single one of them because I was are you saying you'd be part of I will join anything it literally I have no filter for like what I'll what I'll like what I'll be interested in like I'm very interested and I will join and I'll give I'm not judgmental about that like I'll give everything the benefit of the doubt I'm an exploratory person like I'm like a open to new experiences person but I'm highly skeptical. Like, you know, I was interested in what I could, like, take from religion and learn from it. And I didn't feel that it became, like, a part of my identity 
in a way that would be like detrimental I felt like I wouldn't get sucked into something like you said like we're not su- get sucked into things people I think we're too critical yes I mean we're, we, we're, we have a yeah. healthy criticism S- about yeah, yeah yeah but we are fascinated and non-judgmental about certain things. yeah 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 well, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back in two weeks where we have a bunch of interviews planned. Anna and I are still getting headshots, so... I'm so excited. <laughs> We've been talking about it. We've been talking about getting professional photos done in four years. So, so Someone who hasn't posted... Um, a new oh picture of social media Amber, in like four years. You wouldn't, you, were, you wouldn't be a good influencer. No, not at all. What does that say about me? You don't listen to your own podcast. You don't post pictures of us. Like, I don't. If I could erase the fact that I have my own name and a, <laughs> a personal identity. If you could just sneak back into your hole. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we love all of you. Please get vaccinated as you are able. Uh, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Thank you to our girdles and our family at the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Be sure to check out the other podcasters in the network who are doing the Lord's work in the state of Tennessee. Find the good stuff at www.tmholler.com and be sure to subscribe and support the Holler while you're there. Follow the Holler to keep up with what's going on here in the state at the TN Holler on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow Grits at Grits Podcast. Keep it gritty! Bye!